uh, what that looks like. You know, a, a pastor met a church member out in the community. And uh, while they were uh, out shopping, uh, the pastor said, you know, I haven't seen you in quite a while, Ted. Um, you know, I really miss seeing you at church. And he goes, oh, pastor, you know, every time I come, it's the same old sermon. I, I just hear the same thing over and over and over again. And you sing the same two songs every single time that I'm there. And the pastor was just, he's perplexed. He was like, well, what two songs are they? Well, every single time I come, you sing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, and what child is this? <laughs> we call them priesters. You come twice, Christmas and Easter. Well, here's the thing. Whether you come twice a year, whether you come 52 times a year, whether you come less, more, middle, whatever it is, I'm glad you're here. And I'm thankful that you're watching online. I'm thankful that you're in person, that we can come to know who Jesus is. Is. You know, we sing that child, uh, well, we sing that song, What Child Is This? And, and those, song, th th those lyrics just speak to me. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. The King of Kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Wow, you know, those words just sink in. And, and I love when we sing these songs that just really speak the truth of who Jesus is. And in order to better understand who Christ is and why the Father sent him to the earth, again, we're going to set up shop in one specific verse here today. Now, this verse contains deep truth, but it comes with some danger. Because it is a verse that we tend to know extremely well. No matter whether you come once or twice a year, whether you're here all the time, it's probably a verse that you know and probably could memorize at some point. And the reason that we have to be careful with this is because that familiarity with it can breed contempt. It can also allow boredom to sink in. It's been called the theme verse of the Bible. We see this verse being held up all over the place at stadiums. Well, the stadiums are kind of dark right now. But, you know, we see it. it I, I remember the first one that I really noticed, uh, there was hockey, it was a hockey game. And he always had one of those clown uh, rainbow uh, wigs on. And then he held up one sign. And what was it? What did it say? That's right. John 3.16. That's where we're going to end camp here today. You know, and, and when we think about it, I typed it in this last week. And within 0 .02 seconds, or it might have been 0 .002 seconds, whatever it was, 94 million hits on John 3.16. And it's pretty amazing because John 3.16 has 24 words, but they are words of life. Amen. I want you to listen to this. And we've probably memorized it in many different versions. King James Version, we've memorized it in the NIV the English Standard, I'm going to read it from the English Standard here this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, if you were like me, you learned it when you were growing up and it had some of these these and thous and, and different words in it. And you're like, now you read it in the NIV and it's just a little bit different. Um, and, and then you'll read it in, in the ESV, and it's just a little bit different even from that. But it is so clear what it's trying to say. I, I like what Max Lakato writes. He says, 
If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything about the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder. The heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3, 16. So I just want to go through this verse. And, and there's two things that God does for us. And then there's two action steps that we have to do. Number one, God loves. Number two, God lavishes. Then it's up to us. We need to lean in and then we need to live. So let's start there with the fact that God loves. God loves. That, that, that's how it all begins, right? For God so loved the world. Now, when we read this, the word for introduces a cause or a clause, not Santa Claus, but a clause. And it points to the text of the context that we have to read about what happened first. And, and that's the thing. People, they, they go and, and we do the same thing. I do the same thing. I, oh, we all know John 3.16, right? Oh, yeah, everybody knows John 3.16. What about John 3, 14 and 15? What about 17 and 18? Well, we, we need to look at that whole context of what was happening. And, and so when we read that word for, it's introducing that clause. And, and so let's go back. And, and when we see what was really happening here, what, what we find out was that during the time of Moses in, in Numbers 21, there was a plague that had come over um, the Israelites. While they were wandering in the desert, there was a plague that, that came over and people were bitten by poisonous snakes. I mean, all these venomous snakes just came out because people were sinning against God. And, and so he let these poisonous snakes all come out. Many people actually perished because of this. Well, what happened was they said, you know, we need to repent. And, and so all of the, the Israelites, they repented. And God said, okay, Moses, I want you to take this staff. I want you to put a, a serpent's head on it. And when they look at it, the, it will be taken away from them. Numbers uh, and that's in Numbers 21. Uh, if we read John 3, 14 and 15, this is what we read there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I mean, that's the whole premise. Before we even get to John 3, 16, we see it in John 3, 14 and 15 as well. You see, God gave them a solution for their sinfulness. Now we see that God is going to give a solution for our sinfulness. And it comes from his son. For God. Now this verse begins with God. And it's precisely the way that the Bible begins, right? We did that a couple of weeks ago. We read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And listen, this is the way that... The Gospel of John, this is the way that he starts. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything begins and ends with God. Now next week, JR is going to preach for us. He's one of our elders. He's going to preach for us. He's going to do um, a really awesome job. Um, and then on January the 3rd, um, we're going to come back and we're going to finish the, the series that we're in. As I said, you know, we're going to look at the whole section of scripture that talks about why Jesus came. And we started all the way back in Genesis chapter one, but we're going to end with the consummation. We're going to end with revelation. Uh, and, and we're going to look at revelation 21, uh, 21 and 22. We're going to bring it all together. You see, everything begins 
and ends with God. The sooner we realize that life is all about giving glory to God and not to ourselves, the better off we're going to be. Let me say that one more time. Especially in this time of gift giving, it's not about you. It's not about you. This entire gift giving season, this entire time is about God and his glory. That's what we need to focus in on. And again, I love that little word. We've had several of them. For God, another short little word, so. For God, so. And we use that word every once in a while to really put an emphasis in on something. You know, when I, when I look at my wife and I look at my children and I say, I love you. You know, there's times that I just want to look at them and go, I love you so much. My heart just aches and, and, and yearns for your attention. I love you so much. It is all about action. And this word here is the, the Greek word for love is agape. It is unconditional love. God so unconditionally loved you. That he didn't care the mess that you were in. He didn't care what wallow you were in. He didn't care how bad you had screwed up and messed up your life. God so unconditionally loved you. Now I bring that up to also bring up where we're headed for the entire year of 2021. We're going to be in the book of Mark. So I encourage you to plan on reading through the book of Mark. And, and, and we're looking at Jesus in motion that, that's the point jesus on mission jesus in motion forward momentum as we follow jesus life through the the, the gospel of mark and it's going to be an awesome year we're going to start january the 10th and we're going to go all the way we're going to take some breaks in there um, for for different things but we're going to lead it all the way up um, until uh, right before thanksgiving we're going to break down the whole gospel of mark and it's going to be just a really awesome year for God so loved the world, the whole world. You know, this would have been a shock to Jewish listeners. Would God love the whole world? No, no, he loves the Jews. You mean God loves those that go to Colonial Forge, not just Mountain View? Yeah, yeah, he, he loves both of them, yeah. You mean that God loves Virginia and Virginia Tech fans? He does. I mean, he even loves the people from up north. <laughs> even though they almost cost us a chance to get into the college football playoffs. Hey, I'm just going to say for a second, I am thankful. I am thankful. I am thankful that we don't have any Northwestern fans at this church. Okay, because that would have been a hard day for me. I was going to take a brutal beating anyways. And I'm going to take it when we lose to Clemson in the college football playoffs anyway. Scott, I'm already setting it up for you, buddy. All right? So uh, I don't want that to happen, but I see it sadly happening. Here's the thing. God doesn't care what political view you have. God doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care how much money you have or don't have. God loves you. He doesn't care what gender you are. The least, the lost, the little, the old. He loves us all the same. You know, 
there's a lot of division in this world right now. There's a lot of division in our nation right now. Tensions are high. But if we, as Christians, if we will show the love of God the way that he showed the love of God to us, the change that we can make, we can start to bring peace on earth. Will it be complete? No, not until we get to heaven. But we can do our part, and it's up to us to help bring that peace. Don't bring more divisiveness. Don't bring the hammering sting of just the law without. We, we talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago. We have to have grace and truth working together. It has to be working side by side. You know, when the angel uh, made his announcement to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, he said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Uh, again, when you read the Christmas drama, if you go home and you read Matthew chapter 1 and 2, if you read Luke 1 and 2, if you read through those, we see an amazing scene set up for us. Because when we look at the whole Christmas drama, it is filled with diversity. We're, we're introduced to, to some upper class foreign astronomers, the low class Jewish Levitical shepherds. The, the Christmas characters are made up of different generations. They're made up of both genders. Joseph was a little older than Mary. We're not for sure really how old uh, he was. Mary was probably a very young teenager. Then we have Zachariah and Elizabeth. We have Simeon and Anna. They were senior citizens. We see all of this falling into who Jesus is and what he wants. For God so loved the world, the whole world, the entire world, everyone that was inside of it. And Jewish readers would read that when they would go, I don't know. And we want to do the same thing, right? We say the same thing. Well, yes, God so loved the whole world as long as you dress and look like me. God so loved the whole world as long as you think the way that I think. And that we can't disagree. Well, we have to agree on everything, every single thing. And if you disagree with me, you're going to hell. Travis, you can't say that in church. Yeah, I can. It's in the Bible. We have to make sure that, that we see that God so loved the whole world and all of the diversity in it. Now, there are some very strong biblical truths that we have to all agree on. But there are many things that we get the, the grace and the latitude to, to, to be able to see others' viewpoints. Listen, while we may not feel loved by others, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. You matter to the majesty. He takes great delight in you no matter what you've done. He loves you no matter how you've been living. He treasures you in spite of all of your transgressions. Max Licato writes, he says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. As long as it's not the new ones that you can only stick to the side. Your picture would be on God's refrigerator. He loves you and he doesn't care what you've done in your past. He loves you. And it's the reason that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. 
I, I read a story this week that when Martin Luther was translating the Bible into German, the, the printer carelessly allowed sections to fall onto the shop floor. One day, uh, the printer's daughter came in and picked up a piece of the paper that she had found, and she read these words. God so loved the world that he gave. She treasured these words, these words, because she had always been told that God was to be feared and that he could only be approached through acts of penance. And as she kept reading these words, she became more and more joyful. Her mother asked her what was going on, and the little girl handed her the crumped up piece of paper. She read it, and she was perplexed. He gave. Well, what was it that he gave? The little girl paused for just a moment, and then she said, I don't know, but whatever he did, he loved us so much that he was willing to give. We don't need to be afraid of him. We don't have to fear God. He loves us just the way that we are. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay the way that you are. He wants to bring his love to you. Number two, God lavishes. The next phrase helps us to see that God loves us so much that he lavishes us with his son. That he gave his only son. In this season of gift giving, let's not forget that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that has ever been given and that we could ever give. If you're trying to figure out right now what gift you need to get for your loved one, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's where you start. That's where you can start. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says that a son is given. John writes later in 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 10, in this in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. Most of us know that baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was also the birthplace of King David. As a boy, David tended sheep on the very hills where those shepherds tended their flocks that very night. The little town of, of Bethlehem is known as the house of bread, and it's appropriate since Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It was also known as the house of meat as well, because Bethlehem was about five or six miles away from Jerusalem. And so in Bethlehem, Thousands upon thousands of sheep would have been kept on those fields. And they were there to make sacrifices at the temple. I don't know if you knew this or not, but underneath of the Levitical law, underneath of the old covenant, lambs had to be slaughtered twice a day. 730 lambs were killed every single year. That didn't include Passover. That didn't include when, the, when, when everyone would come to make their sacrifices for the Passover lambs as well. One author, Leonard Sweet, he's a Christian author. He's, been, he's wrote uh, many different books on postmodern world and how we as Christians have been called to live in the world that we are in today and how we can work, on our, 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 uh, work to, to share the gospel 
I want you to listen to what he wrote. He says, there were two processions on that first Palm Sunday. One was an unwilling procession of thousands of perfect lamps headed into the city by Bethlehem shepherds. The other was a willing procession of the one perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I, w I kept reading, and, and I came across an article. I'm going to share it with you, but um, it's a lot of speculation. But it was pretty cool to read, so I want to share it with you. Now, remember, I'm not being um, heretical, but I, I want to share this because it's pretty interesting to, to think about. Um, one of the articles that I was reading, and, and they don't know this, um, said that when we read that Jesus... Uh, was lying in a major uh, wrapped in swaddling cloths. One of the, the ideas was that, you know, the shepherds were never told where to find Jesus. They were just told to hurry off and to go and find Jesus, and yet they just happened to find a baby laying in a manger. Well, one of the things was, was that they would take the lambs, that these Levitical um, shepherds would take lambs right after they were born, and, and, and they Remember, the lambs uh, had to be without blemish. And raising lambs, one of the things is when they're born, they are very unstable on their legs. And they run into things. <laughs> and they can hurt themselves. And uh, so what they would do is they would take that baby immediately after being born, and they would wrap it in cloths, and they would lay them in mangers. And so that would keep them together just like we would swaddle a baby to keep it from hurting itself and its arms flailing and to give that, you know, feeling of comfort. Um, they would do that with these lambs. So when they found a baby laying in a manger, they knew that this was the baby because that's what they would do with some of their lambs. Now, how much, you know, it, I don't know, but it's pretty cool, right, to even think about that that was one of the avenues um, that, that they could have used. But here's the thing. God gave. God gave his son as a final sacrifice. He was born to die. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger, and eventually one day would be in procession into Jerusalem and eventually be put to death. Do you know what time Jesus died on the cross? We read that it was in the ninth hour, which would be at 3 p.m. Do you know what happened on that very day at 3 p.m.? Yeah, the final sacrifice would be made. Now, that's pretty amazing to think about. That he took his last breath the same time that that lamb was to be sacrificed. The Passover lamb would be sacrificed. The phrase his only son is also very significant. The idea is that Jesus is the unique one and only son. Some older translations, I said, we would read them and we would read the only begotten son. Now, there was a, a, a young boy that was in a Sunday school class and he was trying to quote John 3.16 and he was trying to use the old version and he said for God to love the world for his only forgotten son how fitting is are those words today the only forgotten son 
Because in the world that we live, we see Jesus being pushed out further and further. He's being left out. The manger scenes are being left out. Jesus is being pushed out of Christmas completely. But it's up to us to continually remind people of who Jesus is, that he is the only begotten son, that he is the only son. So instead of forgetting, we're called to put our faith in the father's son and the ultimate sacrifice. Now it's up to us. What are we going to do? We need to lean. While it's helpful to know that God loves and God lavishes, we need to lean into him. That whoever believes in him. Aren't you glad that that word whoever again is still in this verse? God so loved the world, the whole world, which means everyone. And he offers salvation to whoever. That means you. That means you. That means you. Whoever believes in him. Now that word believe, man, it's, it's rich. No matter what mess we're in, if we come to belief in him, we can have salvation. While it's important to acknowledge who Christ is in our head and even be affected by that in your heart, it's key that you're going to have to engage your will. You're going to have to commit your whole self unreservedly, wholeheartedly over to him. To believe means to trust, to rely on, to lean into. The idea is to fully surrender to the Savior, to keep yourself to him, to take yourself out of just knowing that you know it all and say, hey, I don't and I need help and I can't make it on my own. I need God's help. You know, some expect that this is just not complicated enough. People say, well, it, you know, true salvation needs to be a little bit more complicated than just having belief in, in Jesus. There has to be something more to it. I mean, doesn't the Bible say that God helps those who help themselves? I mean, that's in there. It's in Second Imaginations chapter 2. I promise it's in there. Yeah, but we, we have all of these thoughts. Listen, we can't help ourselves. We love sin. Travis, you can't say that. You're a pastor. Yeah, we love sin. We don't like the results of sin, but we love sin. If we're honest with ourselves, we like to sin. It's not right. It shouldn't be that way, but still we find ourselves doing it. The issue is not right behavior, but right belief. The only way for sinners to be saved is by repenting and receiving the Savior. By leaning on the Lord Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Observe also that not everyone will benefit from what Christ has done. The offer is universal, but the application is exclusive. There's only, there is only one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So God lavishes. God loves. He lavishes. We lean into him. Now it's up to us. We need to live. I love how this verse ends. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Would you notice that there's only one negative aspect to this verse? It's a quick motion here that we need to talk about for a second. Because it's here, it's real, that we should not perish. And that means to be eternally separated from God. And we need to focus on that because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that go, well, I want to go to heaven. But I really, more so than wanting to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. I mean, if you've ever re read what hell is supposed to be like, it's not going to be fun. There's a lot of people go, yeah, we're going to party. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to party in hell. Hell is a real place. And yeah, it should scare us from wanting to go there, but your salvation isn't just a get out of jail free card, to get out of hell free card. Your salvation is that we get Jesus Christ. We get to spend all of eternity with God's love and lavishment upon us. We've looked at the verses that come before John 3.16. Now I want to dig into, real quick, verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was sent on a search and save mission. He didn't come to condemn, but to convert sinners. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 says, Have I any pleasure in the depth of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from the way and live? In the Old Testament, God didn't want people to perish. He didn't want to condemn people. In the New Testament, the reason that Jesus was sent was so that he didn't have to condemn he doesn't want to condemn the world. However, if you choose to live a life outside of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are condemned. But you don't have to be. You can give your life over to him. Look at John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, if you choose to not be saved, you're already condemned and you're outside of his love. You'll be condemned to hell forever. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to stay that way. God loves you. He wants you to accept him as his Lord and Savior. John chapter 5, verse 20 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, Paul says, for those who have clothed themselves in baptism have clothed themselves in Christ. 
And that was right before he breaks down and he simply says, there is no male and female, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. That, that, that's the verse right before that. Salvation is for all. And it's for you today as well. Before we conclude, I want to read one last scripture and it's to set us up for communion. And while we're preparing for communion, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, if you have never believed on his name, if you have never received him, you want to make that commitment, I'm going to be in the back during communion. I'd love for you to come back and, and to talk with me, to one of the with one of the elders. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to give your life over to him. And as we prepare for communion, I want to read the words that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I have received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you have not had an opportunity to get communion, it's on the back two tables. And I encourage you to go back there and you can get your communion. I'm going to pray for us. And again, um, while you're taking communion, while the band is singing the final song, you need to talk. You need to make that commitment. I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk with you through that. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your Son. I thank you, thank you that you have allowed us to worship you here today. I thank you that you have allowed us to, to have the opportunity to hear your word, to sing songs of praise to you, to take communion, to see Dwight and Jesse be baptized. Father, you have lavished, lavished us with your love. Now it's up to us to make our decision. Pray this in your son's most holy and precious name.